Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Thanks to Think. From digital signage to audiovisual solutions, we've thought of everything. Visit thinkpm.ie. This is News Talk. Welcome to Tech Talk, Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up this week, Stephen Douglas, the lighting director for The Killers, talks about getting the show back on the road and the obstacles that still remain for those working in the live events. One of the founders of Gym Plus Coffee will chat about building a brand online and we'll hear how Apple's iOS 14 has transformed how many of us think about privacy. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Every year, EY hosts their Entrepreneur of the Year Awards, highlighting and rewarding some of the best brains in business here in Ireland. The nominees for this year were announced a few weeks back, and one that jumped out at me straight away was Jim Plus Coffee. I don't know a whole lot about the business, but I see their clothing, their mugs, and every other thing that they do on social media every single day. It's a brand that's very much kept alive in the online space, and I'm delighted to be joined now by Niall Horgan, one of the co-founders. Niall, uh, welcome to the show. As I mentioned, I see your brand everywhere, but I don't know a lot about it. Can you give us a bit of an introduction? Yeah, sure, absolutely. And uh, that's great to hear that you're, uh, you are you see us around a lot. Um, so Jim Plus Coffee, we're an Irish athleisure clothing um, brand and business. So we've been going a couple of years. It was founded in 2017. Um, three of us co-founded the business, um, ran it part-time until 2018 when we, when we moved into it full-time. But to give you a little bit of a background about w- where it came from, I suppose we um we as a trio had just moved back from living internationally um you know the guys had been living in australia i'd been living in in the us and i think what we were very aware of is the lifestyles in those parts of the world where people were very passionate about their health their their fitness and i think people were really building their social schedules around their fitness schedules and it was certainly a lifestyle we were living and um um, you know, when we were in, in back and moved home to Dublin, then we could really see that type of lifestyle, you know, really emerging here as well. So we that was kind of, I suppose, the first part of the puzzle. And then the second part was, you know, the, the, the clothing that people were wearing, living that lifestyle was was, you know, changing over the last, you know, five, 10 years and particularly um, getting a lot more casual, um, you know, really people really wanted clothing to fit their lifestyles. So that, I suppose, was the, you know, the kind of business opportunity we saw of it. And the more we looked into it, you know, athleisure as a, a category of clothing was, a, a you know, a, a category that was absolutely booming. So we saw an opportunity to mash up, mix our, our passions and, and, and kind of our business ambitions together. So we kicked off in 2017. We gave ourselves a very confusing name <laughs> because we don't have a gym and we don't, we don't sell coffee. But for us, uh, the brand and the business we wanted to build and the clothing that we designed is all supposed to, to match that type of lifestyle. So you equally, uh, you know, we equally have, 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 have gear you can wear working out, going for a run, um, but also, you know, chilling out afterwards. So that's, the, 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 I suppose, the, the genesis of the brand and the business and where it started. 
Um, and, uh, and and it's it's nice to see and hear from you that you're seeing a lot of it around because certainly over the last couple of years, um, we've been very lucky to get such huge support here um, and have a, a, have a community, a passionate community of, of over 350,000 people supporting the brand now. So really, really exciting times for us. Yeah, the word community is a brilliant one to, to use about this because that is the sense that I get from when I see people going around wearing um, the, the jackets and the, the hats and all the different bits and pieces. It is that sense of belonging. How did you go about building that community and that culture and getting that breakthrough to the point where it is now, which is every second Instagram post seems to have a Gym Plus coffee piece of merch? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a really good question. I think I think it really stemmed from, uh, I guess, a, a very authentic place to begin with in that, you know, we we were incredibly um, passionate about this lifestyle. Uh, we were living it ourselves. We wanted to encourage others to to make time to, to exercise and to socialize together. And, you know, for us, we really wanted to, to, to build that community around that. So I think a couple of the things that we did certainly um you know early days that worked really well in that is 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 we tried to think about um you know what our what people and our community would be interested in so you know we 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 put out content that we think would really suit um suit their interests so when you go to our website you find everything from um uh you know top tips of where to go this weekend you know the best workout classes in in in, in cork recipes um interviews um you know so it's a real uh community type um approach to the content that we put out there the second thing is we, we try to highlight our community as much as possible so if you go onto our social media we try to tell the story of the business through their eyes so that 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 comes uh, again on our, our our social media and on our website and then and then i think lastly i suppose what we did quite well as we really wanted to um, practice what we preach so um, it was pre-COVID times but we ran well over 100 150 events um, encouraging people to get out there to exercise to socialize and you know um, be that brand and that business that people could look to for for, for for guidance and inspiration in that place so they were I suppose a couple of the the, the, the ways we did that um, and I think then, you know, being a digital first brand and being, um, um, you know, kind of online first, it allowed us to, I suppose, tell that story through our social media, um, you know, interact with with our community on that. And that, I think, is, you know, I suppose, really, uh, you know, really helped, um, uh, you know, helped us, helped it all kind of come together where we had these offline parts of the business. We had different content. We had these amazing individuals we were working with, but we were telling that story through our social media and through our website. And I think that that really helped foster that community. The genesis of the business, as you mentioned there, kind of came from the three founders, your different travel experiences. And when I was in Australia a few years ago, I went over for my sister-in-law's wedding. And like that, a lot of their social interactivity was like built around going surfing or going down to the beach. And it was that outdoorsy lifestyle. Do you think Irish people were just waiting for something like Jim Plus Coffee to come along and kind of put the fire beneath them to, to embrace that lifestyle? Or do you think that it was there and this is just sort of amplified it a bit more? 
I, I think it was there. No, I think it was certainly there. I think you could you could see that. And yeah, look, maybe some 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 places like Australia or certain parts of the US were maybe just a few years ahead of that that curve and that trend. But it's it is a global trend, and and Ireland absolutely was 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 taking off in that same direction. And the more you think about it, the more sense it makes. I mean, while yes, maybe we don't have the perfect weather, we certainly have the landscape. You know, for for people to go out to exercise. Um, to hike, to surf, to sea swim, and you can see all those, um, all those different, um, different, you know, sports and activities really starting to take off over the last couple of years. So, um, and I, I think that kind of matches with, the, I suppose, a bit more of a, a bit more of a kind of modern culture here in Ireland as well, especially in, in younger people, where it is about you know things to do with the weekend and activities to do with your friends, and not that um, you know there's still huge places for, for pubs and clubs, but um, it, it is a slightly bit, a little bit of a shift in, in mindset, I think. So um, I think what we we probably were in, in kind of the right place at the right time with Jim Plus Coffee then as well. Um, you know, to 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 help, I suppose, put the the pieces of that puzzle together, um, and 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 hopefully, you know, be that kind of maybe representation of that lifestyle shift here in Ireland, and and, and try again, um, as best as we can to to connect the dots of of that community of so people, you know, who are looking to do stuff at the weekend can check out our website to find out more, and obviously then if they're looking for for for, for the clothes and the gear to wear while they're doing it, then that, that that's obviously the the backbone of the business. You have some big names associated with the brand. Uh, I'm on your website now and I see Niall Horan sitting there. I know Brian O'Driscoll um, is another uh, ambassador, I suppose might be the word. How important is it to have those big names? And what does it mean to, to you and your co-founders when you see these big names, uh, you know, donning the Gym Plus coffee logo? It's incredible. It's it, it's absolutely incredible for us and and, and, and you know, uh, if you asked us that a couple of years ago, you know, we, we wouldn't have believed you to think that, you know, we have people like that um, supporting the business publicly and, and, and putting their name and profile and everything to it. And um, if for us, I suppose it's 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 a real confidence boost. Um, you know, it was it, it, it's nice that, um, you know, for Niall and for, for Brian, both those, you know, partnerships uh, really came organically. Um, both those guys had had got their hands in some of the gear, had really liked it, had started to hear more about Jim Plus Coffee, had heard it from their friends and family, um, and 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 the more they looked into the business, saw that we were we were trying our best to do to do good things as well. And then as conversations developed, you know, it it was great then that they were. Um, they were they were happy and excited to put um, to put their names and profile and, um, and and influence behind the brand too. So it was a real boost of confidence for us as as a founding team and obviously a much bigger team now to to have people like that um, um, you know back you. So um, it it has been great. It has been really really great. And I think um, you know there's 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 a level of, of of credibility that gives the brand too. And we just need to make sure that um, you know we 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 take the, the trust that they've given us and the faith they've put in us and, and keep that going. What was it like going from being a digital first business to having your various clubhouses and I suppose taking that step beyond the internet into the physical world because there there are I imagine a whole host of other challenges as well as the opportunities that come with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it's a question that comes up a lot because it does, it's kind of maybe going the slight opposite way of, of what you hear, you know, obviously 
uh, you know, every kind of uh, physical retailer is moving online and we were an online business kind of moving into physical retail, but we certainly see a place um, for both online and offline, especially if they're, they're, they're working together. Um, so what we, I suppose we've, we've discovered that over the last couple of years by, you know, firstly taking just a small pop-up um, in Dundrum Town Centre and actually seeing how well that did um, for us. And it was a great way to, for us to introduce people to Gym Plus Coffee. So people could come into the, 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 the clubhouse, they could get a sense of uh, the brand, the business, obviously they could touch and feel the clothing and, um, and shop that way. And for us, we call them clubhouses because we really feel that see them as like, smaller community hubs uh, around Ireland and the UK and you know over the years have you know done yoga classes and running clubs and um, recorded podcasts and had talks and you know used the the, the, the the locations for that and I think that's um, you know that's that's for us and super for our community to have some place to go and be able to do that and I think that's the kind of key to it is that you know trying to you know um, connect the offline and the online part of the business so from a you know a, a sort of a basic level we you know if somebody buys something online they can return it in store we have click and collect so there's that omni-channel experience for a customer just to make sure that that's, yeah, that's easier for them um and and, and um we want to make sure we have that done but also as i said you know being that brand that's encouraging people to exercise and to socialize and while there's loads of good content and good recommendations on our website there's nothing that kind of beats doing that in person so being able to do that with our retail stores or even you know the other events that we do that kind of connects the dots nicely there so as as we're looking ahead again we, we do see ourselves as an online first business but um certainly we'll be looking to kind of um continue to roll out physical um clubhouses you know across ireland uk and, and hopefully the rest of the world given the nature of your business and your business model and that community that you've built up how was covid for you because as you mentioned there you're a digital first business a lot of the recommendations happen online. The, the community does exist quite heavily in the online space as well, which is brilliant. So did you, did the company feel the impact of COVID as much as other businesses? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 was, it was a real roller coaster, to be honest. You know, like everybody, when COVID first hit, you're, you're absolutely terrified um, if the business will, will, will last. You know, we, we had to close. I think we had five retail stores at the time. They obviously had to close down. And um, while we, we, we had online, we weren't sure of the reaction. Thankfully, the you know, passionate community we had absolutely rallied around the business. We, we, we saw a great um, kind of influx actually in, in, in our website and uh, online orders. And then as the year went on, you know, that, that obviously continued to be a trend where um, both e-commerce, uh, you know, across the globe was, was obviously um, benefiting from, from everybody being, being at home and on, on their phones and screens. And also, you know, the category that we're in being athleisure clothing, which is, you know, comfortable clothing, again, was something people were, were willing to invest in. So we, we were in the right place at the right time for that. So while COVID probably didn't start that trend, it certainly accelerated it. And then, you know, on the flip side, where we probably saw huge challenges was, 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 was trying, to, um, trying to manage that at the back end. So, you know, the operations, the supply chain, um, the delays in production and um, the increased costs in supply chain, getting, uh, getting the products made and delivered. So there was, you know, a lot of kind of pain points behind the scenes, but thankfully um, uh, for the business, it was, um, 
it, we didn't we didn't feel a negative impact from COVID. And in fact, we had a positive impact in terms because of more people were shopping, shopping online and shopping for for high quality gear. Mm. And it definitely is something that I've seen people invest in, uh, particularly because I suppose it wasn't as convenient. A lot of the shops weren't open, so you weren't popping into some of the retailers for the, the cheaper uh, leisure wear people were online they were investing but also there was a big push to buy Irish and support Irish companies have you noticed that sentiment from your customers and your community yes 100% and it like it I can't stress enough how how encouraging and inspiring that is for us uh, uh, you know running and building the business is to see that kind of um, you know, wave of support for local businesses, um, for startup businesses, um, and for businesses that people people obviously like and support. It was it was brilliant. Um, so we saw that right across in terms of, you know, people just um, um, you know shopping certainly, but also in the messages that we received and the emails we received and the the the, the comments and DMs on social media. Um, it's it's so encouraging to see that, and I think um, uh, you know it was it was. It was, you know, a very proud moment being a, you know, a proud Irish brand to see, um, you know, in, in, in times that could have been uncertain and people rallying behind local and Irish brands. And that was super to have. We're coming out of the woods uh, now. We're not fully out of them, but we're on we're emerging from it, I suppose. Uh, what's next on the horizon for the Jim Plus Coffee brand? Do you have your are you going to try and do all the stuff that you had planned for 2020 or are you on to a next stage of the evolution? So I think we're, we're probably on on the next stage. Um, so it, it's 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 a mixture of picking up a few things that we um that we couldn't do because of covid and then also looking to 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 grow from there so again you know physical um you know get togethers and events it was a big part of our our strategy and something that we we wanted we always wanted to do and while we moved those online last year we're very excited to kick them off again um you know hopefully this summer and, and beyond um so we've got a new gym plus coffee run club um that everyone can join on strava and we've got some events planned around that um, for our summer stretch series coming up so that's going to be uh something that we're really excited about and then in terms of um you i suppose that the longer term growth and plan for the business um it's uh it's it's international expansion plans for us um so we're, we, we recently opened two stores in the UK, in London and Manchester. Um, so they're up and running now and we hope to um, put another couple of stores in the UK by the end of this year. And that's a big kind of focus and goal for the brand. We, we, we um, you know, we, we want to be, I suppose, that business and that brand that hopefully Irish people can look to internationally and, and, and hopefully represent them well. And, you know, that's, that's the kind of the, the, the big challenge and the big opportunity for us to try um, to try, you know, break places like the UK or Europe or the US. So that's something that we're really excited about. Um, I think we've got a lot of work to do on it, but hopefully if we catch up again in a, in a year or two, um, we'll, we'll have a lot more uh, to talk about there. As I mentioned in the introduction, uh, Jim Plus Coffee has received a brilliant accolade in being nominated for the UI Entrepreneur of the Year Awards. And this is something that we've covered a lot over the last number of years here on News Talk. It is a prestigious programme. This acknowledgement does mean something in terms of 
business uh, in terms of peer-to-peer -peer respect and development and building out that network. Uh, how did you feel to see your name on the list? Uh, I, it was it was it was amazing, Jess. I, I we, we myself and Dermot uh, um, were, were were nominated this year as as two of the co-founders and um, something that we're incredibly proud of. And I think, yeah, it's that. I suppose it's that level of of of, of kind of confidence it gives the business a recognition that you know um, some incredible people have looked at what the business is doing and have agreed it should be part of this program, which is is very exciting. And for us, I suppose it's. It, it, it kind of it it really represents all the incredibly hard work and, and and talented people we have on the team now. We're you know across our our, our office and then obviously our, our our clubhouses. Um, we've had over one hundred and five team members, and they're all you know incredibly passionate, incredibly ambitious, and so talented. And you know it's the work that they've been you know killing themselves to do over the last couple of years, and especially in the last twelve months in particular. Um, you know, so it's, it's, I think it, it really kind of, um, for us, showcases the hard work that they're doing and how well they're doing it. So, um, yeah, we're, 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 we're so chuffed to be part of it this year and it's an incredible group. And already, you know, you can see um, just the, 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 the nice messages you receive from, from, from people who are already uh, part of that alumni and look forward to um, the kind of the year ahead. That was Niall Horgan of Gym Plus Coffee. Coming up next here on News Talk, lighting designer Stephen Douglas chats to us as part of our series highlighting the arts called The Show Must Go On. Tech Talk. Tech Talk. On News Talk. Thanks to Think. From digital signage to audiovisual solutions, we've thought of everything. Visit thinkpm.ie. TechTalk at Newstalk.com is the email address if you want to get in touch or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. All this week here on Newstalk and indeed next week, we're shining a light on the arts and live entertainment industries. This is one sector I have missed the most during the pandemic. And we've put together the show must go on to talk to those working in this industry about the comeback, the excitement, but also the challenges that are still very real. Uh, I'm delighted to have Stephen Douglas, who is a lighting designer and the man who has made so many shows look stunning for the likes of The, the Killers, Hosier, Wyvern Lingo and many, many more. Uh, Stephen, welcome back to the show. It's been around six months since we last spoke. How has that time been for you? Yeah, it's um, we're starting to see little sprigs of regrowth, I think. Um, there are a few shows. I mean, obviously, there's still the streaming shows that have been going on. Um, but, you know, I know everybody looks at them and says, oh, isn't that great? And, and don't get me wrong, it was great to work on a couple. I did one for Gavin James in Killarney uh just before christmas and i did one for wyvern lingo in bray a little while ago um but yeah i mean there that's the only two gigs i've done since the last gig i did in front of an audience which was in march of last year um i had a, a couple of shows that happened with one of my clients in america uh, where they did some streaming things but with the travel restrictions i wasn't able to go out to actually be hands-on on site myself so it was a case of designing it from home and um kind of coordinating with local local operators and colleagues out there to look after it for me um there is there is some positivity i mean i think that the way that stuff in the west end is is 
starting to reopen later this year is a good sign. Um, I know obviously we're seeing promoters here announcing a lot of shows as well um, for later in the year. But then you're balancing it out with the, the fact that things like Longitude are still cancelled. Um, I don't think anyone knows the, the the final decision on Electric Picnic just yet, but I, you know, I'm not sure which way that'll go. Mm. Uh, I think everyone's hopeful it would happen, but it, it'll all obviously depend on vaccine rollout, I guess. I don't know. I'm not an expert on that side of it. Um, so there is little, there is definitely little shoots of recovery, um, but it's going to be a slow, it's going to be a slow process, I think. One thing that we didn't talk about last time was, obviously, this is your job, it's your career, it's your industry. But also mm -hmm. from a personal point of view, not having that creative outlet, not being able to physically go and do your job and get that full sense of satisfaction that you would get when you're on whether it is an arena tour or on a festival tour, that must be quite frustrating just on a human level as well. Yeah, it's a big change in your lifestyle. Um, you know, like anyone, if you've, if you've dedicated so long of your life, I've, I'm doing this since, I'm, since I was 18. Um, I'm 41 now, so I've um, been doing this a long time. So it is a, a massive change in your lifestyle as well as your income. Um, you know, this is my full-time job. You know, this is not something we do as a hobby. This is something that every, the vast majority of people who work in this business are full-time professionals with careers and, and companies and families, just like everyone else. So, um, yeah, the the effect on the lifestyle change is, is very different as well. Obviously, I would be used to traveling a lot. Um, I haven't been on a plane for 14 months now. Um, which is the longest I think ever. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know, and then not getting as somebody who designs and, and is involved in the creative aspect of it, there's there's a lack of outlet there as well. You're not channeling your kind of creative thing. Um, you know, that takes a little while to, to rebuild that muscle, I think, as well, you know, because it's, it's not just a case of being able to switch these things back on. Um, you know, when when tours start back up, you're going to see musicians who haven't played for over a year who are going to be out of practice. You're going to see crew who might take a little longer to put the show up because they're out of practice. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting reintroduction into the business, I think. One thing that I think has happened uh, during the pandemic, which is good to a certain extent, is that people finally understand and appreciate the people who put the show together. So I'd have been at gigs at the Three Arena every other week, sitting there loving the band or whatever's on stage. And you never really give too much thought into the crew, the people who make the set look amazing, the people who do the lighting. And I think hearing the human stories like your own, because you've been on with us a few times now, I think that has uh, come into focus for some people. Is that something that you feel like I know, you, you know, I know kind of, you know, good thoughts and prayers doesn't put food on your table. But have you got a sense of that from people over the last year or so? Yeah, a little bit. Um, but, you know, we're also very, um, you know, we're very aware of the fact that everyone's gone through this. It's not just our business. It's not just our industry. It's not just crew who are suffering. And there's a lot of, 
a lot of businesses and industries and hospitality, bars, hotels, everybody, you know, retail places that have to close for long times as well. You know, we're very aware that it's a lot of people who have suffered through this. Ultimately, once we do get back to work, I think we would love to go back to that point where people don't realize, you know, other than the people paying us, obviously, uh, <laughs> people don't realize that we're there because, ultimately, you know, that's what we want is we want people to go to a show and have a good time and not think about, oh, look at that piece of set. You know, we want them to mm-hmm. go and just enjoy the whole experience. And if they walk away not thinking that there was 100 people who put it together, but that they just had a good time and that they'll do it again, that's that's great because that keeps the business going, that keeps people buying tickets, uh, which is ultimately what we all want. You know, we're 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 not really in this for any recognition. Um, we're you know we just like everyone else, we just want to get back to work and go back to our lives. A big part of your life, and we've spoken about it before, is that you, for the last number of years, a very long time now, have been working very closely with the Killers. I know mm-hmm. you were involved in, was it the Aerosmith residency in Vegas yep. as well? You yep. have done Hozier tours. You've worked with some of the biggest acts in the world. As things, as talk, I suppose, begins about reopening, have you had much contact with those big artists and gotten a sense of their anticipation, their nerves, their excitement to get back on the road? And will we expect to see bigger, more flamboyant shows than ever before? Um, yeah, I mean, I know, you know I'm not going to speak for any of those people, but you, know, you do get the sense that people are looking forward to playing shows again. Um, I think they realize, I think a lot of artists will realize how lucky they were to be able to be in the position where they have an audience. Um, in terms of the scale of shows, I, I, I really don't know, because obviously budget is going to be a big factor. Mm-hmm. Um, things like COVID restrictions on a load in, you know, whereas before you would have a, a big arena show could be 25, 30 trucks, but then you've got a touring crew of 100 people and you've got local crew every day that you use of 120 people can we now safely have all those people in the building at the same time can we all load in on the same schedule do we have to stagger department movement so that you know lighting come in and they're finished before the audio guys come in and before the video guys come in you know are we able to have that many people working together in close proximity building stages and sweating near each other and breathing near each other um yeah we don't really know and and that's gonna things like that will have an effect on the scale of the show and also um the transit time between venues um can you get the show out in time are we trying to add more shows to make up for the shortfall of income there's there's going to be a, a lot a lot of factors that go into even thinking about it before you even design the show you know Mm. what happens if one person on the lighting bus gets sick you know do we now have to quarantine that entire bus well then what happens with the lighting rig do we have to carry extra crew so that we can sub people in and out you know there's there's a lot of factors that particularly production managers um and management and and booking agents are going to have massive headaches to deal with i think so I don't really know. I think initially we might see a little scale back on some shows, 
just mm -hmm. so that, you know, in much the same way that we saw a scale back on audience numbers for social distancing, we may see a scale back on, on the size of some shows until, you know, just for those early adopters. Um, but I think you'll, I think it'll scale back up pretty quickly, to be honest. I think once, once vaccine rollout takes effect and, and we can have a, a kind of full, full return to capacity, I think, I think we'll get back to where we were pre pre pandemic. In terms of other people who do what you do um, the the light design side of it, and more of that sort of behind the stuff, uh, behind the scenes stuff that you mentioned that, you know, you hope people don't really realize. How is that industry looking? Because not everybody can be touring with the big bands. Some people do it on local levels uh, here in Ireland. There are people who are associated with uh, different venues, different theatres. You told us the story of how you got involved with the Killers, which was mm. you basically just got called up last minute and you filled in and all of a sudden you're here. For the people who are, you know, lower down in terms of their career ladder, what are, are the prospects looking good? Do we have any indication of how they'll continue to survive if, you know, as we heard during the week, they're, they're going to roll back on the pub payment later in the year and so on? What are the prospects? Um, I don't really know. You know, the, the guidance towards our industry has been, to be honest, barely non existent. Um, we've never really had any sort of roadmap over the last year of where we need to be at in terms of public health so that we can start looking at events. It's always just been, you know, other industries have, have, um, I've got the mentions and, and, you know, that's fine. I understand that because it, it affects the wider things like tourism and all that more so than, than we do um, or are perceived to at least. Um, so no, I don't really know of, of any kind of benchmarks that we can aim mm. at and say, okay, well, when this happens then we can have 25% of people in venues or 50% in venues. So it's difficult to know how it's going to affect because it's not just a case of saying, well, okay, it's Tuesday and we're happy with the vaccine now and, and, and you can start having shows from two weeks from today. That just doesn't happen. You know, there's, these shows take months and months to plan. And, you know, I know some people get annoyed when they see reschedules and they go, oh, I have to reschedule it. Oh, they've rescheduled that show till the end of 2022 now. And so you've got to remember, it's not just a show show here that that's getting rescheduled you know you're, you're trying to build in an entire world tour and mm. everybody's trying to reschedule their dates at the moment yeah at the same time so there's a serious lack of availability of venues so that's why you know these things take so long to um to kind of ramp up again um i think we would see a lot of the smaller you know the the mid-sized venues like the olympia um the gaiety you know smaller ones like the button factory and all that, i think they could get back into putting on shows a lot quicker um because there's a obviously a massive influx you know massive um pool of irish talent who could very quickly put together shows because everything is based here um so i'm hoping that those venues would be the first ones to come back to full kind of levels of business to be honest um, it would be the international touring stuff, I think. You know, we're seeing it in America now, even with 
the venues, you know, or sorry, with the festivals that are, are getting rebooked for later in the year, like Lollapalooza, Bonnaroo, uh, Lollapalooza is in August, Bonnaroo is in, I think they're having in October this year, uh, Firefly Festival in Delaware. It's pretty much 90, 98%, high 90% American artists because they don't have to worry about travel problems. They don't have to worry about quarantines. They don't, you know, it's keeping it all internal. So I think, you know, Download Festival in the UK, Heavy Metal Festival, they just announced the pilot program for, I believe it might be August. Um, and they're going to do a 10,000 capacity festival as a guide. I know Reading and Leeds are planning on going ahead uh, end of August, but to what extent, who knows, you know, we don't really know, but again, that's, you know, different, different governments. So, um, yeah, I think the smaller Irish venues and Irish bands will be the first ones, hopefully back at work. And that'll help a lot of people who work here day to day, flyer companies, the lighting companies, PA companies, video companies, rigging companies, they'll hopefully all be able to get a piece of that. And, I know some of them tried last year with the drive-in series of gigs as well to try and get crew back to work that unfortunately didn't come off but I don't know maybe something like that could happen this year. Overall how do you think Ireland's response and support for the entertainment industry and the crew as a whole has been? Um well I'm no, I'm no politician. <laughs> um, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> but um Think, I think it's been pretty poor, to be honest. Um, again, I, I I look at things a little bit differently, obviously, because as you said earlier, the vast majority of my work is is internationally based. Um, but from talking to people here and, and seeing the things that have gone on with with grants and you know, a lot of people, a lot of people are struggling. A lot of companies are struggling. Um, you know, they're desperate to go back to work um i you know again I, i'm no mastermind so as what could have been done i don't have the answer but um yeah i don't again having watched all of these speeches over the last year and never really seeing any acknowledgement of of the industry it, it's you know that's kind of difficult to take really i think so what, what's your overarching sense then? Is there a sense of cautious optimism or are you reluctant to get your hopes up in any way, shape or form, given how the last six or eight months have panned out? I think it changes every day. Um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly getting more emails from people asking me about projects um, and mm -hmm. I'm doing drawings for certain things and, and sketching out ideas but I seem to be drawing more things that just get cancelled at the moment than are actually going to happen um so yeah I guess cautious optimism is where we're at today <laughs> well that's a that's an okay place to be I suppose given that we yeah. are in a global pandemic uh, exactly always... you know there's much worse problems <laughs> out there exactly uh Stephen it's always a pleasure thank you so much uh for your time thank you very much Coming up next here on News Talk, we'll hear how iOS 14 is disrupting the world of consumer privacy. Tech Talk. Tech Talk. On News Talk. Thanks to Think.
From digital signage to audiovisual solutions, we've thought of everything. Visit thinkpm.ie. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Tech Talk at newstalk.com is the email address if you'd like to get in touch, or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. If you have an iPhone that runs iOS 14, you may have noticed quite a few changes in terms of the notifications that pop up to alert you if an app wants to track you. This is an operating system that has privacy at its core. And Dermot Daly of Tapadu joins me now to talk through the impact this update will have on consumer privacy awareness. Dermot, am I right in saying that you think this has been a massive leap forward in terms of consumer awareness? Uh, It's a a massive leap forward. And I guess what's happened here is uh, Apple are big enough to make this change, if you know what I mean, to affect this change. So what it's done is uh, Apple took all the nuances of allowing the, uh, if you like, the app developer to put nice words around it, right? So what Apple have done is said, now we're controlling the UI. All you get is as a developer, you can put some reason that we will show up as to why we want you want to track. But Apple are controlling the UI. So the UI looks the same in every single app. And I guess the other thing they've done is, uh, you know, we, we've seen cookie consents for, for quite some mm-hmm. years on, on the web, but you also see that now you're left with lots of choices, right? You're saying uh, we need analytics, we need advertising, we need necessary cookies. And that actually, uh, I guess, confuses the user. But what Apple have done is said, do you want this to track or do you not? And as a developer, we have to honor that answer. So what actually happens there is um, if if it says, no, we're not allowed to track, well, first of all, uh, the, the identifiers that Apple would offer to us through the operating system just don't become available, they're just no longer available to us. But also we have to do things like not switch on analytics packages and so on. So um, I think what they, by, by, by standardizing the interface uh, and by, by turning it into an all or nothing, they're really raising awareness of this. Yeah, I'm a big fan of GDPR and I pretty much talk about it every chance I can get. I do think consumer awareness increased when GDPR was first introduced. However, I think we now have a problem whereby people are just clicking on cookie consent forms or whatever it is because they want to get to the content as fast as possible. So I do think it's great that Apple has streamlined it. From a developer's point of view, though, is a bit of a pain. Like, are developers now missing out on data that would have added extra value to their business case or their business development in previous years? Um, I think if, if what it's just doing is making everybody think about it a bit, a bit better, right? Mm-hmm. So if you like, we in Tapadu, we, we work for a lot of big, big enough Irish companies doing uh, their mobile apps. In the past, we would often be asked by the marketing department to say, switch on analytics to, to help them actually improve the app and so on. But what we would find is they'd often say, uh, we, we go back to them and say, well, what, what analytics goals do you want to achieve? And the customer will, will will not necessarily put that effort in up front. They'll say, oh, just track everything. Will you, will mm-hmm. you just switch on analytics for everything? So literally what you, you know is throughout the code, you've got things like saying, okay, you know, fire an event that they press the button or fire an event that they switch tab. 
And the idea is usually grounded in some, you know, um, good ideas, as in they want to say, well, we're finding more people want to use the first tab than the second tab, maybe, or we might need to change the order and make it more usable to people. So the, the reasons behind it are often very good, but the kind of scattergun approach to let's track everything uh, has been a result of that, if you like. Now we're finding we, uh, I, I guess, our customers have to be a bit, a bit more aware of the privacy constraints. But they also have to think about things like, um, do we really need to track that thing, right? But they've also now got the this extra layer on top of saying, do you know what? The customer might just say no. And if the customer might say no, deal with it. Uh, bear in mind that a lot of these, if you like, analytics and advertising tracking packages, um, they, they've, they've kind of created new ways of advertising and so on that aren't always in the end user's best interests. Mm -hmm. So let, let's imagine, let, let's take an example. Imagine we had a shoe shop app, right? So in order to do business as a shoe shop, you you, de you need to know the person's name, you need to know their address, you need to know what products you're selling them, right? And with that data alone, you can build up a pretty good picture and say, do you know what? Uh, Jessica likes blue shoes. The next time we've got some new blue shoes in, maybe we can send her a mail about it. That kind of seems fair, right? But what if, that the data has also come from a second or third party, such that they start to say, do you know what, uh, Jessica likes blue shoes, but she doesn't like pumps, she only likes heels, or something like that, do you know what I mean? Mm. So where, where you've never actually given them that data, uh, but they've got it from somewhere else, that kind of feels creepy, right? So, you know, what, what, what these new advertising platforms that we've seen in the last 10 years is, They've really, really encroached on people's privacy, but the end user tends to be oblivious to it. And I think that's what's wrong. And that's what Apple are fixing here. There's quite a few different points in that scenario that you paint there that I find really interesting. Firstly, although I understand it and I appreciate it, I still find it bananas that 10 of us could be sitting in a room together and we could all see different things on the internet. It just shows you that you have to question everything that you see online. You're seeing the reality that algorithms and companies and brands want you to see or have chosen for you to see. But this then also feeds into the point that uh, Facebook isn't too happy about when it comes to the iOS update. And that is that small businesses that use Facebook aren't going to get access to that data anymore. So in that analogy of our shoe shop, for example, it might know my activities and my hobbies and all the rest. So like I like hiking, I like dancing, I like doing all of these different things. And that information had been altering the results when I go to that shoe shop. That is a significant amount of data. And I think if people had the time to understand exactly how it all works, maybe some would consent to it. But it is taking a lot without explaining and getting that explicit consent that causes the issue. I think it is. And I, I think, though, the the I, I guess the extension of that, though, is it is very hard to explain that. That is a very hard concept to explain. Right. If you remember, like if you like the going back to the earlier days of the web, um, you typically add content matched sorry, add match the content, mm -hmm. right? So if you were on a hiking site, great, you are getting your hiking ads, right? But now what happens is, um, you know, your your ad brokers have taken data from all over the place and no Jess is into hiking, but 
you know, this morning you're on Slashdot, you're doing something that you're, you're, um, if you like, doing some research for your for your podcast, and you're still getting the hiking ads. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that, and 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 I think, like I say, if 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 the advertising brokers were able to explain that to most users, I think most users would say, would say that doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. You know, Apple have done a great um, ad this week, by the way, about uh, ad trackers. And it basically has a person going about his day, but constantly followed by lots of people who are scribbling notes every time they do anything. And it's a great ad that kind of shows what it would look like if it was in real life. Yeah. And this goes back to the whole, you know, if you don't see your product, you are the product or whatever that saying is. Um, How damaging is this iOS update going to be to the business model of some of those social media platforms? What it's doing is taking a major source of data away from them. So right now, the data is rich by virtue of it being aggregated across so many different things. Right. So to to some extent, I think it's kind of fair that if you sign up for Facebook, you're getting ads from Facebook. Mm -hmm. If you join join a hiking group on Facebook, now Facebook knows that you like hiking. That seems fair. Right. The thing about that, as you drop into different sites around the, the web, and that adds Facebook trackers or, or, or other advertising trackers, by the way, and that's building up a picture of you, right? And one of their major vectors was what you were doing with your phone, right? So if you know if you write an app, you can add in uh, Facebook advertising, you can add in uh, Google Analytics, that sort of stuff. So that just became another place where it says, oh, do you know what? Jess uses the, the Yelp app. She likes Spanish food, right? So you think you're just there, <laughs> you know, looking up Spanish food, mm-hmm. whereas what it's actually doing is telling this entire ad network that that's another thing they know about you. So what what the, the new app tracking transparency stuff does is gives the user uh, uh, the choice to say, <coughs> do you want this vector of, of information to be included in your ad tracking or not? Mm-hmm. And if you don't, great, you can spend all your day on Yelp knowing that it's not affecting your you're you're browsing somewhere else two days later. I think there is still a huge job of work to be done in terms of explaining this to people. The average smartphone user who just wants to do work emails, a little bit of shopping, a little bit of Netflix, they don't want to be a guinea pig for all of these companies. And while there has been a lot of education since GDPR got introduced, I think if I was to go out on Grafton Street now and Vox Pop 50 people asking them, you know, do they know how, when, why, where they're being tracked, they wouldn't know about it. I, I think it's extremely sophisticated. That's that's the real big thing, right? And it's actually really, really smart. The people who have built these ad networks have really done an amazing job that such that they can actually picture, uh, build up a very big, uh, a very accurate picture of your wants and likes and needs and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think that you, if you if you went out and did your box pops, I think you'd find different things. You'd you'd find people who who have the whole the innocent of nothing to fear approach and and just think, no, I, I'm happy. I'm giving them data. They're giving me free software, right? So I think you'll find that. I think you'll find um, swathes of people who just don't realise what they've given up by virtue of having certain social media accounts and so on. Um, and then I think you'll also find there's a small group of people who think that, you know, the microphone is switched on and the camera is switched on and they hear everything, which I genuinely don't believe. And as a developer and knowing 
what I have to do to switch on a mic on a phone or switch on a camera in a phone. Uh, I just don't believe it. It's that simple, right? But um, so I think you'll get all of that. This stuff is very, because of its sophistication, means that um, the, the average person in the street doesn't know about it. They're not into software. They don't stop to think how things work. Um, so it neither, it, they feel like it doesn't affect them. That worries me, though, because it does impact all of us and it does skew what we see online. And if you're someone who spends a lot of time in the online space, that's obviously going to impact your outlook on the world. Do you think that Google will follow suit in terms of Android users in a meaningful way? Uh, they claim to have. So they, they Google I.O. was out last week and they, um, they, they put a fair whack of emphasis on privacy and privacy first and um, the same sort of capabilities as in allowing the end user to know that tracking is enabled, allowing the end user to switch it off. The only thing I'd say is Google's business is advertising. Mm-hmm. And um, they're, I guess they're one of the people who do a very good job of data aggregation. So, um, and advertising is a data aggregation play, right? It's taking data from lots of different places and forming a picture of you. And, and Google do an exceptional job of it and make a lot of money out of it. So, <coughs> excuse me, I, I, I don't know whether you'd call that, um, you know, you might well find that there's people in the Android team whose primary focus is, is the end user and think about privacy, but I'm not sure that would be a policy that would be extended across the entire company. That's a question for Google, I think. That is an important point, though, because a business like Google is one of the tech giants and it has a number of sub strands within the brand. And that kind of feeds into what the US antitrust hearings are looking into at the moment. It's all about the size and the scale of these companies, the tentacles that they have, the different objectives that they have. And it is a bit of a monopoly in the market. Like if we look at Google, for example, there's the Google search engine, there's Android phones, there's YouTube, there's Google Maps, there's Gmail. All of these services are feeding into the one company. And that is a colossal amount of power, information and influence. It, it absolutely is. And not only that, but they, um, they, you know, their reach is even further because you get a lot of free stuff from Google, a hell of a lot, right? So mm-hmm. if you if you buy an Android phone, for example, um, the manufacturer could build Android from the open source project, but actually what they tend to do is license it direct from Google instead. Uh, but under those license agreements, they have to carry Google Calendar, they have to carry Gmail, they have to carry YouTube, they have to be kind of the default apps for all of those in the phones. And as we know, right, yeah, absolutely a user can change their email uh, uh, from one email client to another, but the vast majority are going to take the, the what comes out of the box, right? So mm-hmm. your average Android user is using Gmail for, for their mail, which is another source of, uh, of, of data points for advertising, of course. Um, in terms of the reach, I think you're absolutely right. And we hear a lot of it in, um, when, when you talk about things like your worldview, I think that this is where it does get really, really scary to my mind. You hear a lot of people um, becoming, say, radicalized by watching a video and then getting videos like that um, recommended to them and eventually getting themselves down into a rabbit hole of, of say, conspiracy theories or something like that. Um, and I think that's where it kind of gets really um I, I i guess it kind of gets really dark you know when, when you start to think about that and 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 that's things like 
algorithms just doing their thing, you know? So if you know, if you happen to be into, I don't know, My Little Pony, right? You're gonna be getting lots of My Little Pony uh, videos. But if you happen to think that, you know, JFK wasn't assassinated, you're gonna get lots of them to the extent that you start to think that that's completely believable. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, the conspiracy theory echo chamber nature of the internet, I think, is one of the worst facets of it. But as we look to the future, then, do we think that the implementation of iOS 14 and the consequences as a result of that are going to change anything major? Are we going to stop seeing businesses trying to track us? Will there have been an element of, you know, cop on adapted by everybody or will there still be some chancers who will look to try and get whatever they can, wherever they can? I, I, I think it's very hard to affect um, to affect change like that when people's salary relies upon it, you know. So um, when it, it will actually take, it will absolutely take power from the advertising and data brokers, right? It will take, in fact, major swathes of data from them. But whether it will stop them trying to look for other ways to do that, I don't really think so. But it will it will have an impact on the effectiveness of, of it. The, the other thing to bear in mind is that this capability, um, the, the user can switch it off on their phone altogether and just say mm-hmm. never try. Um, the other thing I- about it is uh, the actual frequency with which you see the pop up is defined by Apple, not defined by us as programmers. So what actually happens is we say, we would like to request um, consent to track. And the app says under the hood, well, I've asked them two weeks ago, so I'm not gonna ask them again. And Apple never tell us what that what those parameters are. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the same goes for things like push these days and so on. So that what happens is the app, even if it wanted to nag you, Apple are taking that out of the hands of programmers and not allowing them. So, Look, it's very hard to say what the long term effect is, but it's certainly it's certainly, for example, it's doing a couple of things. It's taking a massive piece of data away from your data brokers and your 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 advertising aggregators, if you like. But for us on the ground as developers of mobile apps, it is giving us um, better arguments to have our clients, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it is arming us with saying, well, look, you can do that, but here's the effect of doing it, you know. And um, I think the fact that it was very easy to say add analytics to your to your app, regardless of whether you're going to use it, mm-hmm. um, means our clients are often tempted to just say, well, look, will you just add an analytics package on, and we'll just track as each screen goes from screen to screen, right? So they they may never have used it, but it's a very easy thing for them to do. Now, um. As as they become more aware of seeing those pop ups themselves, it makes it it brings them more into their mind about thinking about whether they should be doing it or not. So I, I do think that will have a quite a positive effect. That was Dermot Daly of Tapadu, and that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. I'm back with Shane and Kira on Monday's News Talk Breakfast. Plus, I'll have my first impressions of the iPad Pro 2021 on Tuesday's Pat Kenny show. John Friday's up next here on News Talk. I'll chat to you next week. <laughs>